Thank you for joining us for another episode of CryptoCurrent. Just one quick reminder. CryptoCurrent is a cryptocurrency and blockchain education platform that's bridging the gap between the curious newcomers who are just discovering the space and the thought leaders who are shaping its future. All opinions expressed by Richard Carthon, the CryptoCurrent team, and their guests on this show are exclusively their own opinions. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Richard, the team, and their guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow his financial advice. This show and any other CryptoCurrent production is exclusively for informational purposes. going on everybody for cryptocurrent my name is steven miller and you're watching cryptocurrent live the show where we bring you the latest news the most breaking up-to-date metrics and of course a little bit of banter here and there every single tuesday and thursday at 7 p.m eastern time i of course am joined by my co-host chris corneros chris how we doing doing great steve how are you another great day in crypto land my friend i love seeing ethereum's price go down it means like it's buy more cheaper mm-hmm. oh yeah well, actually you're, you're gonna need a lot with all those gas fees trust me Look, man, it's been down lately. I don't know what people are complaining about. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm rich, but I'm just a little bit under it. So I get to pay these gas fees without any problem, right? Nice, nice. That's what you love to hear. <laughs> no, nah, they're going to fix it in E2.0, I hope. But in any event, we've got a great show ahead for you guys today. So if you're new here, please get to know us a little bit. Join us on social media. Make sure that you're subscribed to the channel. Click the like button. Tap on the bell. We want to see you back here every single Tuesday and Thursday at 7 Eastern, where we give you some big news, a little bit of blockchain bets on Tuesdays, give you some picks that you enjoy, and then of course, decrypt some stuff on Tuesdays as well. Ahead on today's show, we're going to be breaking down the latest news in our Buy, Seller, Hoddle segment. And then of course, in the Aftershock, we're breaking down the biggest story of the week. But let's ju- go ahead and jump into it. Breaking news. The big story on today's show, we're talking about Congress getting schooled on crypto. So you may have heard we have six specific um, CEOs and CFOs currently testifying at hearings at Congress right now, telling them more about crypto so they can become more educated on the topic. If only they were just watching CryptoCurrent, they could be educated too. But we are going to get into that in the aftershock for you. For now, we're going to get into a little buy, sell, or hodl. So our first piece of news, this quick Thursday update for you is that Kickstarter is set to decentralize. So Chris, you and I both have kind of gone back and forth on this piece. And I would love to break it down for him. So why don't you just take the lead here? Yeah. So Kickstarter, for those who don't know, was a major kind of crowdfunding platform uh, from the early 2010s. And I mean, you have everything from... God, I mean, Oculus is one of the companies that started from Kickstarter and the rest are escaping me right now. But once upon a time, it was one of the largest crowdfunding platforms everyone was talking about it constantly. And they've kind of fallen out of vogue recently. However, as you can see on the screen right now, for those watching, 
they're going to be decentralizing because they want to stay relevant. They're building a standalone Web3 platform uh, website to enable kind of, you know, crowdfunding via crypto, via Web3, DeFi, etc. And interestingly enough, as soon as that website is ready, it's functional working, Kickstarter is going to fully move over to there, but they're keeping this new platform open source. So if anyone wants to create their own Kickstarter, they want to fund something, they will have access to the tools to essentially just throw their template on top of this project. Yeah, what's really interesting to me is that like their CEO was already known for being very progressive when it comes to business, business decisions. And the fact that they want to move over, form a governance lab, and develop this site in a really, I guess, public manner goes to show the influence that DAOs have already had on the ecosystem at large, right? All these DAOs and even the launch pads, because they are enabling the next generation of products and projects in the Web3 ecosystem at large to be able to get off the ground. Um, Kickstarter doesn't want to be left in the dust, and I'm not surprised to actually see the move. But the whole thing comes together around their decision to minimize environmental impact and deploy on Celo. So Celo is another Web3 platform similar to Ethereum and Tezos and Solana and Avalanche and all the others. Um, But their entire pitch is that they are actually carbon negative. So as a progressive CEO, he saw that opportunity. He wanted to make sure that if they were going to do it, they weren't going to be harming the environment. They're making the move. Um, any final thoughts that you want to share on this or anything you think is really interesting about this piece of news? Um, I mean, the most interesting thing to me is that they're going to keep this, you know, the platform they're building open source and let others kind of co-opt it to raise funds for any project they want to start. It's super interesting, but I think it fits in very well to the crypto community, right? We see so much open source development of pretty much every blockchain. And so it's great to see that Kickstarter is, you know, a traditional centralized company, but they're coming in and saying, you know what, if this has worked in crypto, why would we change anything? So I really like the direction they're taking. And I hope that we see some success here because it seems like they're trying to make all the right moves. So when they make this move, do you think that even though they probably have a pretty considerable amount of VC funding to begin with, do you think we're going to end up seeing a Kickstarter token by the end of it? I wouldn't be that surprised. Um, I think the only thing that would hold it back is, you know, essentially them thinking about, okay, do we need a token or can we just keep selling stocks? I think yeah. that's the, the route they're going to take. That being said, though, they haven't IPO'd yet. So it would be interesting to see if we had a traditional company essentially IPO via the blockchain, right? That would be cool to open up public investment, you know, to Web3 only and not to the traditional stock market. Yeah, look, I would like to see it happen. And I think that the reason why I can't help but ask it is because of that announcement they're going to be launched in the governance lab. Um, If they're going to decentralize and they're going to decentralize entirely, it means they're going to have to have a governance token in terms of how they're going to evolve the platform going forward. It's not just going to be the decisions of the board. Right, it's it's going to have to change, but let's move ahead into uh, the NFT update for today, and I'm calling this the OMG edition because this um, Thursday update for um, the NFT landscape has been nothing short of enormous. So let's start out with the biggest thing that happened last night. Um, You may have seen that I tweeted about it. If you have not yet followed Chris and I on Twitter, 
please do. You'll be able to get all this news before we actually talk about it here. And that, of course, is that last night, popular NFT artist Xcopy, who does a lot of this like glitchy artwork, very popular in the crypto space, he sold... Um, he already had this on the market. Like he had sold this like months and months and months ago to a buyer called Two Yeah Yeah, and Two Yeah Yeah just decided to relist it and came to a deal with none other than Cosmo de Medici, who many people speculate is actually Snoop Dogg. Um, interestingly enough, but the deal was selling this piece of artwork for sixteen hundred ETH, biggest deal in super rares history. It is. What I, I think that's a it's something to tune of like a seven hundred x um in terms of ROI because two yeah yeah spent a hundred k on this to begin with um, I mean it's just it's next level stuff and of oh, course yeah. X cop I mean, is real that's about five million U S dollars I think if you do the conversion yeah I think that I saw it at one point at seven um but Jeez. again it's <laughs> Either way, you're talking about five or seven million dollars. It's just it's unreal that we're seeing these NFTs go for that type of price tag. But again, when you're talking about some of the top original artists that started their work in the NFT world, this guy's the staple. He's going to be regarded as like the Monet of the space going forward. So it's really, really cool. X Copy, of course, has other works that are open editions or numbered editions that you can check out on OpenSea or even over on Super Rare. Is one of ones, they're going to continue to go up in price just like we just saw. So keep an eye out for that. More big deals are currently rumored um, right now. Apparently, Cosmo Medici, whoever he may, he or she may be, is also planning on another massive deal, um, likely going to be the world record breaking deal at some point in the next couple of weeks. Spicy. So keep, yeah, keep an eye out for that. Um, but the next piece of news I want to let you have at, Chris. Because Ubisoft announced that their Quartz platform is going to launch the first energy-efficient NFTs playable in a AAA game via Tezos. What do you think of it? This is going to be a big deal. It is going to be... Well, first and foremost, it's on the Tezos blockchain. And as Steve and I'm sure a lot of our uh, returning listeners know, I love Tezos. I think it is a fantastic platform. And they've been making a lot of moves. So I'm not that surprised that we see Ubisoft partnering up with Tezos. But this is going to be a very big deal for a different reason. Because it will probably kill most NFT games and not for the reason you would think. It's going to kill them because, you know, as of right now, what NFT inclusive games are that have been released by blockchain developers is they're essentially, you know, they're essentially mobile games, right? There's nothing special or really that fun about them. They just have NFTs. And of course, those NFTs are worthless if you don't play the game. This is going to be a big deal because this is a massive multinational game developer, right? They have studios on several different continents, I think like three or four, and they make good games. And they are now going to make a very fun game that has NFTs available to integrate with it. And it's going to be interesting to see, all right, if people like this game, if they enjoy it, how does that affect the price of the NFTs that are intertwined with it? And it's going to be a very good indicator going forward as more studios launch these NFT inclusive games of how valuable some of these will be. 
Yeah, the interesting thing to me is the AAA title that they're referring to here is Ghost Recon Breakpoint, which I believe is the newest title in that series. They're not, you know, going backwards. Um, and beta testing is going to begin as soon as today. So that was a pretty quick announcement to then beta test, in my opinion. But they have all the resources in the world as a AAA studio to be able to pull this off. Um, I'm very, very encouraged by it. I think that it's going to be a catalyst for the entire space. But I will say this, Chris, a lot of the NFT community and a lot of the crypto gaming community right now have been very, very against this. They, I'm they, not surprised. They have a very negative perspective on the Tezos blockchain and how it would actually be able to de- deploy and interact these NFTs with the game itself. They don't necessarily think that the technology behind it's going to be able to hold up um, under that type of load to support a AAA game. It's interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is. But at the end of the day, and I think a lot of the crypto community doesn't even realize this, is when, you know, essentially when people, you know, companies are saying, oh, this game has NFTs, what they really mean is that they have a skin shop like every other game has for decades. The only difference is that you can buy and sell them without ever playing the game and you can trade them. So at the end of the day, it's not really going to be that groundbreaking, right? It's They're pretty much just adding skins to a game that's been out for a few years now that are then going to be transferable, unique, right? You'll have your blockchain ID on it, but it'll be interesting to see how everything goes, how it holds up, because I also don't know how big the player base is of this game. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see as it develops, but... In other NFT news that I did not actually include in this because I didn't think it was a big piece of news up until it actually went through, um, which was just before we actually pu- published this, so we missed it. Um, World of Seferia, who is a um, massive, massive online role-playing game that they're planning on rolling out in the very near future, just did their ERC-20 launch, and I believe it's under the Cypher token, S-I-P-H-E-R or S-I-P-H-R. They brought their ERC-20 token out yesterday, did a public sale um, with an early round, and I think they closed it at $64 million raised. And it's trading right now at something to the tune of like a 15x immediately. Um, it's it's going that's, to have a lot of eyes on it for sure. Um, that's, crazy. that's one game to keep on your radar. But let's go ahead and forge ahead to our final page here which of course covers other top stories around the space right now. Chris, I know that you're a big fan of this first one. So take us through that real quick. Yeah, so Visa, you know, essentially what they did is they already have this kind of advisory consulting arm of their, you know, of the company, right? I think it's a mix of venture cap consulting. And within that arm of Visa, they are expanding it to include a crypto advisory unit. And what this will do is... For retailers, banks, businesses that want to start accepting crypto or get involved with crypto and Web3 as a whole, they are now going to have consultants to help these businesses, you know, essentially have a smooth transition into the crypto space, which I love because, you know, it's great, right? Most of the rather than force companies to kind of fake it till they make it or pretend they know what's going on, they can just come in and say, hey, we want to get involved and know nothing. They don't have to hire people. They can go to Visa and say, all right, what do we need? What do we have to do? 
And I love it because it's going to make it easy for more businesses to get in. And as more businesses get in, that speeds up mass adoption and makes us all a lot more money because we're invested already. Yeah, I, I'm really curious about it because I think that a lot of the service providers that Visa already services needs this, right? It's, yep. something, it's something that is going to bring them into the Web3 world. Um, so I am looking forward to it. I think that this is a really big step forward for financial um, companies that offer credit. Uh, the next piece of news is that ex-Google CEO Eric Schmidt has stepped on to be an advisor for Chainlink. This, of course, should come as no surprise to anyone because Chainlink has already built out a board of governors that includes people from modern finance to big tech to even some of the biggest crypto um, projects to date. Very, very impressive move though. I'm glad to see that he's stepping into the world of Web3 right now too. Um, Japan may in fact force stablecoin issuers to register as banks. This is a much bigger story that's still developing right now. I don't think there's anything super tangible that we can go off of right now in terms of broad comment from stablecoin issuers. But what do you think of this? I mean, do you think that it's a positive move or are we seeing an overstep by government right now? Well, to play in with this segment, I think this is a hodl, but I also think it makes sense. And that may rub some people in the crypto space the wrong way, but at the end of the day, stable coins essentially function exactly the same as a bank, right? Like they are in theory, they're issuing currency and they are in theory backed up one-to-one -one by fiat, you know, for the most part. It's a big in theory. Yeah, in theory, because the reality is, is I think USDC is the only one that is anywhere close to one-to-one -one backing, and they're only at like 75, 80% at best. I think Tether is at most 60% backed. I can't speak to the rest because those are the two I know about, but this is a good thing. And the main reason it's a good thing is that as more stable coins are issued, and you may know less about the team behind them, it is helpful to know, okay, if I buy some of these stable coins, if I'm holding them, they can't just rug pull and screw me because then they're going to have to fight with the Japanese government. So yeah. and, I think it's a good thing, but I don't know good or bad yet. Yeah. And look, this is going to actually become the norm, I think, that we're going to start seeing is people are going to start immediately seeing legislation around stable coins before we see legislation around much of anything else. Um, governments want to get ahead of this because they are really, really focused on rolling out their own CBDCs. Um, we're going to have a little bit more to say about that in a little bit in our Aftershock segment um, because we had some discussion about that in our own Congress here in the US earlier on yesterday. But let's go ahead and close this out with my conspiratorial buy article of the week. The CIA confirmed the rumors that it is in fact operating in crypto. Um, for the longest time, if you were not aware of it, the CIA actually has been one of the most speculated agencies slash entities that was rumored to have started Bitcoin. In fact, now they have said they're not. In a public statement, they actually owned the fact that they did not have anything to do with Bitcoin. Uh, but they have left it open-ended and just left it out there to the world that they are, in fact operating in crypto. What do you think about this? Because I love this story. It lets me you know, have my imagination venture to far, far away crypto lands. But what do you make of it? Do you think that there's any particular projects that stand out that the CIA could have been involved with? 
I would not be surprised at all if they were involved with tornado cash esque projects that involve privacy and scrambling it because it makes sense for them to, right? They don't want, you know, enemies of the state operating and pushing funds in a way that they can't track. So it would, pun intended, it would track that they are the ones involved with or behind a lot of these privacy coins. Because if they understand how it works on a fundamental code level, they can then unscramble it if they need to find someone. So that's what jumps out to me at first. Yeah, I think the one thing that to me stands out is stuff like that. But better than that, I kind of have a tendency to want to believe that they're involved in projects where you have teams that are not doxxed. So anonymous teams is like, it has to be the first piece of the puzzle, right? If a project has an undoxed team, CIA could be involved, right? The next, so I- piece, the next piece of it is, yes, exactly what you were saying. Privacy coins, mixers, all that stuff. They could definitely be involved there. But I was thinking about it earlier, and I'm kind of curious if... Granted, I understand that um, the graph is a doxed team, but some of these query tools could easily be something that the CIA could be involved with if the team is, do- is not doxed. So I know you had another thought on it. What, what, are, you think, what are you thinking? Yeah, so he, here's like my tinfoil hat conspiracy. What if they're involved with Cardano? And the reason I think that is because Cardano is doing this big push in Africa to essentially you know, have this as the unofficial currency of the entire continent. The other you know, organization or country, I'll call them, because they're a country that is involved heavily in investing in Africa, is China. So it would kind of track that the CIA is involved with Cardano because they need some way of kind of competing with China's growing influence in Africa. And although that's very out there, I think there's, you can kind of connect some dots and say, all right, maybe it's a little feasible. Yeah, I mean, look, it's not going totally tinfoil cap, but I mean, I could totally see that happening and I wouldn't even be that upset because if that means that, you know, the CIA is involved in the development of Cardano, I can tell you one thing, Cardano is going to get developed properly and it's going to end up rolling out and nobody's going to obstruct it. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I will say I, I have one running theory and it is tinfoil cap. And I think that it's part of the reason why we're right now seeing so much of the XRP case getting, um, what is it? Um, they're like, they're locking the information. What's, what's that term in, in court? Classifying? Oh, sealing. They're sealing it. Exactly. Sealing. So yeah. if you don't know, all throughout this XRP case, almost every bit of it has been sealed. So like the public cannot get any of this information. And it's not just because they're a financial you know, company and the information is proprietary. There's some really shady shit going on behind the scenes there. And I'm just going to go out on a limb here because what is XRP doing? They're creating a payment rail. They're legitimately creating railways for money to be transmitted in place of wires. Where is the majority of fraud taking place globally right now? Wire fraud. To me, if the CIA is baked into that, it may make a lot of sense as to why they're sealing a ton of that information. Because once they got it in court, 
without realizing and recognizing, oh crap, we have internal assets that are involved with this. They have no choice but to seal it. So I'm really curious as to what that means. I'm more than happy to spin up the tin the tinfoil hats with you guys anytime. So if you really do want us to go conspiratorial on this show, please just let us know in the comments. We're happy to go there. We want to make sure that this show shares the news that you want and also shares it how you want it shared. So if we want to go down that lane, we're happy to do it for you. The last piece of news before we jump into the aftershock, which is going to be the bulk of this show, is that Sequoia Capital, one of the largest venture capital firms in the world and most prominent, mind you, has just signaled a Web3 rebrand. Very, very interesting stuff. Not to get too deep, they had a memo that went out back when YouTube had launched, basically justifying their investment in YouTube. And they turned that memo into an NFT and auctioned it off and it sold for an ungodly amount of money. But immediately after that, all of their online like internal brand material has shifted over to Web3, basically saying that they are going to be investing heavily in the metaverse and, you know, leaning into you know tweeting GM and all this other stuff that you expect to see from metaverse and NFT players. I am really, really interested to see where they're going next. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's not going to affect any of us on any major level. Do you have anything you want to add to that, Chris, before we move forward? No, I'm all good here, Steve. Awesome. Well, guys, that's going to do it for Buy, Sell, or Hoddle. If you enjoyed it, let us know. Smash that like button. Let us know in the comments what we missed what you think we need to be bringing up on the next segment next week on Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern. But let's go ahead and forge ahead into our primary segment of our Thursday show. This is The Aftershock. The Aftershock. So every single Thursday on The Aftershock, we like to bring you the biggest story of the week. Break it down for you. Get into some of the nitty-gritty details and let you know why this, in fact, is going to send shockwaves around the crypto world. This week, we're talking about how Congress today and yesterday have been meeting with these six crypto leaders to basically have a hearing and teach a little bit more about cryptocurrencies because many of these lawmakers have come out and made the decision that they are desperately in need of a formal education on crypto before they can legislate in it. Who knew? We're actually making adult decisions in Congress now. Anyway. These are the six crypto leaders that testified before Congress across the last two days. You have Sam Bankman-Fried, CEO of FTX, and he's got his hands in Solana and a whole bunch of other projects. Brian Brooks, who's the CEO of Bitfury, but he was formerly um, involved with not the Fed. I think he was the comptroller of the currency. And also, he was the CEO of Binance US for like 15 minutes. After that, we had Danelle Dixon, who's the chair of the Stellar Foundation. Charles Cascaria, who's the CEO of Paxos. They are a, um, a stablecoin issuer. Jeremy Allaire, who's the chairman and CEO of Circle, the issuer behind USDC coin. And Alicia Jean Haas, who's the CFO of Coinbase. So a lot of really prominent figures there. I'm not exactly sure how they came to the conclusion that these are the six they wanted. Um, but any immediate observations that you had on this, Chris? Well, first and foremost, until you explained who Brian Brooks was, I had no idea who he was. And I certainly have no idea what Bitfury is. Other yep. than that, I think this is a pretty solid lineup, right? You have Sam Bigman fried crypto staple, massive exchange in FTX. He also, as you were saying, is involved with 
dozens of other projects in the crypto space. Great one to have. Um, having Danelle Dixon, I don't know much about her, but Stellar is another you know great kind of staple in crypto. We talked about this yesterday, Steve, but having Charles in here, the CEO of Paxos, doesn't make as much sense when you have Jeremy Allaire, who is the chairman and CEO of Circle, because they're both stable coins. And Circle slash USDC is significantly larger than Paxos. So interesting there. And then finally, having the CFO of Coinbase makes perfect sense because to most of Congress, Coinbase is crypto. And I, it's all very, very interesting to me as to why they settled on these six. Um, but I will tell you this as kind of the one spoiler to the segment. Crypto showed out in this one. Um, these advocates for our industry absolutely represented properly. And the reason why I want to make sure that we dive into this with some granular detail is like there's some really high-level highlights that came out of this. We're not going to go into every single you know, US House of Representatives uh, members' questions and concerns. but we wanted to share, I think it's a total of like five exchanges that occurred throughout this hearing. And the first of which is what basically was the opening remark. And I'm going to go ahead and read through these for you until we get to the actual back and forth. Chris, I want you to you know, voice the response of the person in crypto. I will speak for Congress. Um, but the very first one came from Representative Patrick McHenry, who's the Repu- one of the Republican House of Representatives nominees from the state of North Carolina, who was absolutely adamant that we need to get this right. He said, we need to seek to understand this technology so we can have a serious debate on how we should appropriately respond and update regulations. We don't need knee-jerk reactions by lawmakers to regulate out of fear of the unknown rather than seeking to understand. The move to regulate before understanding will only stifle American ingenuity and put us at a competitive disadvantage. Congress should not be dumb enough to raise a red flag around this technological revolution. We should embrace it, understand it, and we should be the international leaders in the space. To me, not just an opening statement, that's a huge vote of confidence, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's just... For whatever reason, and again, this is the Republican narrative right now in the US surrounding cryptos. They are fully on the team of, if we don't get it, we are not going to regulate it. We're not going to touch it because that makes no sense. And I love it. And I also love how he said American ingenuity and put us at a competitive disadvantage because it shows, right, that he's fulfilling his role. He is putting America first. He's saying, why? Well, first and foremost, he's acknowledging that crypto is inherently innovative. It's going to be impactful beyond how impactful it already is. Right. So that's great. But he's also putting the country first, which is what he should. And he's saying, why would we harm the country for personal gain? Yeah. He gave a couple of really good examples throughout his um, opening. And the first of which had to do with like basically countries have done this throughout history. They've raised these red flags um, at times when innovation really could have just thrust us forward in terms of the way that society's evolved. And one of the examples that I thought was really, really poignant was uh, referring to how England legislated against automobiles back when they were first hitting the roads um, in London. And it was basically a law that said that you had to have three individuals um, to operate a car at all times. And it was absolutely fascinating and related to this immediately because we're already over-legislating it by saying that you know 15 different organizations have a hand into crypto right now. 
in terms of the way that our lawmakers regulate it. So very, very interesting there. But the one thing that came out of it at the very end of his um, five-minute dissertation or his opening address was that he urged his colleagues to not just vote the party line, but be be bipartisan about this. He was very, very convinced that there are going to be some people that are just going to straight away vote the party line. And that's going to be the way it's done and legislate to the party line. But there is a bigger impact that can be made here if they do legislate in a bipartisan way. So I applaud him for what he said. I thought it was a great opening address. Um, But let's move into our next one. This one was a really powerful exchange regarding stable coins competing with the dollar. So guess what? You get to be Charles Cascaria, the CEO of Paxos. Um, The first comment comes from Representative Richie Torres, the Democrat from New York. One of my concerns about crypto is that it would, re- it would present a challenge to the supremacy of the US dollar as the world reserve currency. But stablecoin issuers have pegged their coins to the US dollar already. Is that reinforcing the dollar in a complementary way? Or is there still a contradiction here that we just don't see? And what Charles had to say is what people want is a US dollar bank account. Anywhere in the world, it's the hardest thing to get access to. Tokenized dollars make the dollar more accessible and a very important tool for inclusion. What do you think about that? I love it. First off, shout out to Richie Torres, representative from New York. Fantastic question, right? That was just the way he phrased it. He's showing he's not against crypto. He just wants to make sure that it won't harm the US. So great question. Great way to phrase it. He obviously isn't taking a side. It was a genuine question and an even better response, right? Charles here isn't, you know, taking one side or the other. He's just saying that at the end of the day, when you tokenize these stable coins, it increases the accessibility because stable coins are pegged to the US dollar. It therefore is going to kind of increase the reliance on the US dollar. Yeah. And I think that the one thing that I do want to tip my cap to to Richie Torres on this is that of all of the Democratic, like, lawmakers who had asked questions and had their five minutes on this panel, I think that he came at it from the most open-minded stance. And that is really, really respectable. Um, you know, It's actually honoring what McHenry had said in his opening address. Come at this from a bipartisan perspective. Don't just assume that you already know it all. Ask questions. Start seeking understanding. Um, and I think that we all are going to benefit from this testimony. I mean, there were a number of different other statements on stablecoins, but this was probably the most impactful one. Um, I think that that is a tremendous reason why we need stablecoins going forward into the future. But let's go ahead and jump into the next one. This is a really powerful exchange between Representative Ted Budd, who's who's another Republican from uh, North Carolina, and... Brian Brooks, the CEO of Bitfury, and who was the comptroller of the currency and involved with Binance US. Um, Representative Ted Budd began by stating, I fear the current policy of regulation by enforcement is going to force the next generation of financial tech to be developed elsewhere. Where do companies draw the line with this and decide to take their business elsewhere? And as Brian said, in some parts of the industry, it's crystal clear. There are products that are legal in other countries that just aren't legal here, like ETFs. Uh, Quick reminder, that stands for exchange-traded funds. One of the things that makes crypto risky is that investors may not know the difference between two tokens, so they may want to diversify. 
we don't allow that in the US. You have to go abroad. To which Representative Bud then expanded saying, so do you believe that the US is behind the curve as compared to other developed nations? Unquestionably, said Brian. You could feel the air just get sucked out of the room when you're watching this back, you know, on the stream. I mean, this was a real mic drop moment in the middle of this testimony. So don't let our acting skills fool you. This was a really, really big moment um, for the hearing. So Chris, unpack this for our audience for a second. What do you think from what we got? So first and foremost, let's walk through what Ted Budd had to say. He is essentially here asking, you know, not even asking, right? This is a a leading question as opposed to the first two where they were kind of genuine statements and showed genuine interest. This is actually a leading question. And our tone may not have revealed that, but it's leading because, you know, we've seen Republicans in the last year are very pro-crypto or very pro, let's take a laissez-faire approach, keep hands off of crypto. What he is trying to do here is he's setting up the question in a way that says, okay, at what point is regulation going to hurt you know, business interests in the US? How is it going to harm our economy? And Brian Brooks had a great answer and said, you know, some parts it's super obvious because certain things just are not legal here. So nobody is going to even bother trying to start a business here you know, around things like ETFs. And kind of to that point, right, in vain of that leading question is Ted Budd follows it up and says, you know, point blank is the US behind the rest of the world. And, you know, with saying unquestionably, he's agreeing, but to your point, Steve, about it being a mic drop moment is this is, A, this is politics, right? This is Ted Budd finding the most clear cut way to get this message across to the rest of the elected officials. And it's a beautiful job by Brian Brooks to explain in clear, more traditional financial terms, some products that aren't available here and that would hamper innovation and new business growth here. So great exchange, great questions, great answers on both parts. The one thing I will add to that is just that Ted Budd really did want to lean in and get to the answer of like, okay, then where else would they go? And right now, I mean, there are people that are fleeing the US to go develop products in Portugal, Germany, Japan, Singapore. I mean, they have a number of different places they can go to that have the technological infrastructure to be able to develop effective products, solutions, projects within cryptocurrency. And when he got to that end state, like statement of unquestionably, like it was made really apparent that like we need to be acting and we need to be acting now because otherwise it's going to be too late. And all of these other countries are going to have their big advantage on us going forward into the future. And they want financial technology to be deployed and, and come and originate from the United States. Now, Chris, there is one person that I was really eagerly looking forward to hearing from in this. And no, I know that you think I'm going to say Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I actually don't care what she says about anything. Um, but who I was looking forward to hearing from is crypto's biggest critic. Um, which is Representative Brad Sherman from the great state of California. And good old Brad had some of the dumbest comments of the entire hearing. 
And just a, a quick disclaimer for you guys, if you're not joining us on um, Facebook, our slide actually reads, elderly man falls off of soapbox. Brad's campaigns have been funded for years. Literally every single re-election campaign he has had in the state of California that he's not lost, all of them have been funded by credit unions and banks. So understand he is coming at this being provided a script from these financial institutions. It's really important. So Representative Brad, I call my bank daddy Sherman, said the following. First, I want to remind the chamber, today we hear from the crypto advocates. We will at some point hear from the crypto critics. We won't hear from the CEOs. We'll hear from the academics with their pencils and pens. Making valuable use of your time, are you, Brad? The next thing that Brad said, I thought, was the highlight of the entire thing. And before I get too far into it, I want to just go ahead and say, at the end of this, he accidentally says crypto coin. He meant to say Cobra coin, but he's incompetent. So he says, the number one threat to crypto is crypto. Bitcoin could be displaced by Ether, which could be displaced by Dodge. He actually said Dodge, didn't say Doge. Which could be displaced by Hamster coin. And then there's Cobra coin. And what could Mongoose coin do to crypto coin? What an argument, right? Like these, like this is exactly why we need people in Congress to learn instead of just be in the pocket of financial institutions because people like this smile with a joker-like grin across their face when they're giving these testimonies and asking these questions and feeling like they're, you know, primed. But the reality is is that they know nothing about what they're talking about. The final statement that, that representative good old Brad Sherman brought is it's not fair to compare fiat currency's current system to cryptocurrency's aspired system. The vibe of crypto is a stick it to the man vibe, but in actuality, it's controlled by big tech and Wall Street. So there's a lot there, right, Chris? Like there's a lot that we can unpack and just disassemble and really strangled to death, but we need to get to the bottom of it. Like, is there anything in here that we should expand upon or take apart for a second? Oh, 100%. And it's in that last statement. In the first sentence, he says, it's not fair to compare Fiat's current system to crypto's aspired system. And I guarantee you, right, I haven't seen all of what he said, like the expanded, but I guarantee you he doesn't expand on that because what he really means is it's not fair to compare Fiat currency to a better system of currency because that's just going to hurt me and my business interests. And to continue with that, he actually does make a somewhat accurate point, which is to a certain degree, crypto is controlled by big tech and Wall Street. What I mean by that isn't the tech behind it, but it's the money, right? We always cheer when Michael Saylor buys another 100 million in Bitcoin and everyone gets hyped. But what they don't realize is that is another incredibly wealthy person removing more Bitcoin permanently from the pool because there is no way Michael Saylor even dreams of selling that for years. And so to that point, I get what he's saying. But it's very clear here that he realizes how outmatched fiat is with all this new innovation coming out of crypto. And he is clearly, you know, that poison apple of the bunch. He is, you have all these proponents of crypto here, these hands-off, you know, approach to crypto. And he is clearly the poison apple. You bite into him, he makes everything sound bad, look bad, and then you don't want to touch it or even hear more. And I'm actually going to push back on you because I did hear a couple of different points after um, good old Brad spoke. And 
I actually think that it's a really good point that it's not controlled by big tech and Wall Street. Big tech and Wall Street have their hands in it, but they do not have control of the reins. Okay, we're talking about broader cryptocurrency here. We're not just talking about Bitcoin. We're not just talking about Ethereum. We're talking about it all. So let me go ahead and break this down in just one second. Sorry, we had, we had some background noise. So the biggest response of which came from my favorite new representative from Ohio, Anthony Gonzalez, who in no less words, absolutely dunked on Sherman. So quick, two quick disclaimers. Gonzalez definitely plays NBA Jam. Okay. <laughs> and the illustration that we have on screen right now for those that are not um, you know, taking the time to come and join us on YouTube, which by the way, if you're listening to the recast, come watch this on YouTube. Man, we have fun over here. Um, but our image is showing Brad Sherman playing NBA Jam dunking on Brad Sherman, shouting boom shakalaka into the rafters. Incredible work there. Not going to pat myself on the back much more than that. <laughs> the second disclaimer is this. Brad Sherman is definitely going to be placed on injured reserve after this dunk and may in fact miss his re-election campaign in the spring. So just be mindful of that before you see what Anthony had to say. Anthony said, I'm going to attempt to respond to some of these objections, which I believe demonstrate a complete and utter misunderstanding of what we're even doing here today. One contention is that the vibe of crypto is a stick-it-to-the-man vibe, but in actuality, it's controlled by big tech and Wall Street. The notion that a handful of big tech leaders and Wall Street banks somehow created and now control crypto is absurd on its face, and frankly, anyone that would make such a claim should be ignored on this topic. Mic drop. This guy absolutely said it the way that it needed to be said. He do, Brad Sherman does not understand what he's talking about and needed to be told that. And frankly, he needed to address the rest of the chamber to 100% make it known that Brad Sherman does not know what he's talking about. Please disregard it. It should not influence your decision making as a lawmaker because he is not going to be making decisions in Congress for much longer. There's a massive push in California right now to get him um, to get his opposition elected in the next upcoming campaign. I am really looking forward to that day, Chris. Oh, me too. We will uh, pop NFT bottles of champagne. Oh, in it's the metaverse. Gonna be, it's going to be great. I I've already planned on breaking out the dom. It's going to be a big, big day for our world. Um, but let's jump into the last of the statements here um, to round out the aftershock. Walking away from this, a lot of the chamber agreed that legislators need more education on crypto. If they're not going to be closed-minded to it, that's a big win. And blockchains are as much about transparency as they are about security. Long time, Chris, we've heard that like, you know, they're against it because they want to protect investors. This is a re and they're also against it because they think it's where a lot of crime is being held. This statement, I think, ties everything together really well and says that a lot of our preconceived notions are not there. I mean, do you, do you gather that? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. And it's something we talk about a lot. And you guys talked, you and Richard talked about on Tuesday, right? Is there are a lot of misconceptions around crypto, right? You have 
media spreading FUD and you have a lot of just general misinformation, right? People think all crypto is bad for the environment when in reality, Bitcoin is really the only one that has a significant negative impact. The rest of them really don't use enough energy to make a difference in any way. And I think that's just one example of, you know, essentially what they're saying here in summary, which is, we don't know that much. Most people here don't know that much. We need to kind of leave our, you know, instincts, our preconceived notions at the door, come in with an open mind and learn and then say, all right, how can we, you know, work with crypto, work with this new system to better the country as a whole? And I love that take, right? The general direction, and you can see it here, of not just Republicans, but also it seems some of the younger Democrats. I like that direction, which is, if we don't know anything, let's wait, let's learn more. Because in reality, why should they rush to regulate this? There's no need to. And at the end of the day, a rush regulation is far worse than waiting and making the right call at the end of the day. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, before we go much further, and I do want to expand on the last couple of points that we have here, um, we do have some breaking news we actually need to cover. So cue the drop. Breaking news. Chinese corporation Evergrande has officially defaulted on its loans. Again? Not again. They were covered the first time. Uh, the Chinese government stepped in and paid off the banks. Oh. But they've officially defaulted on their payments. So I would not be shocked if we start seeing some pullback in the market. Um, in fact, I thought right before this, I saw Ethereum pulling back a little bit. Uh, but what people need to understand at the end of the day is that, and I think that we didn't talk about this enough when the Evergrande issue came up the first time around, Evergrande is not going to make or break this market because ultimately it's a Chinese corporation. The second that China decides that they want to control it, they're going to say, hey, we need this now. And that's probably what's going to happen here. Um, is it maybe an indicator of where the market's headed and that we're going to see more defaults? Potentially. But for right now, it is not that big of a deal. Don't overreact to this news. Um, Chris, any thoughts on that immediately? Not really. I mean, we've discussed Evergrande. We've discussed China before. And at the end of the day, because China is still very resistant to crypto, main reason, of course, being that they want everyone in China to use the digital yuan when that comes out. So I guess what I'm trying to say is it really doesn't mean anything. It's not like the US is coming out and Apple is defaulting on their loans, right? It's not some major multinational corporation that is based in a crypto-friendly country, right? This is a real estate company in China which is not a crypto-friendly country at the moment. So at the end of the day, yes, we will see the market pull back, but not for anything actually related to crypto. It's just going to be an impact to all markets as a whole from a major multi-billion dollar corporation and the largest economy in the world defaulting. Yeah, that was exactly where I was actually about to take it. So I'm glad that you did. Um, it, it's important to know that when you see a pullback in crypto, because of news like this that on its face isn't attached to crypto, it's because crypto is responding to the overall economic markets fluctuating. Um, that sometimes gets lost in terms of these FUD cycles. So just keep that in mind. But let's tie this one off on Congress's crash course on crypto. 
Ted Budd did in fact make a closing remark saying that it feels as though regulators seem to believe that every single coin comes under their remit and effectively that they're going to ruin this industry. This is of course referring to the SEC and the CFTC and every single other agency in our government that believes they have claim to it. Um, I would have to agree on the front, like the front part of this is like, yes, right now, as it stands, every single agency believes that this is under their purview. It is not. It is under maybe the CFTC. Right? I mean, like, could you still make the case that some of these are securities or that we should be making a category of digital securities so as to not just strike them from existence? Yes, easily. Um, and I say easily just because, you know, a lot of tokens that are out there function very similar to voting shares in stocks, right? And that is directly under what the SEC deals with. That being said, it doesn't apply to all of the coins or honestly, probably not even a majority, right? But I think you can definitely make a case that some of them do. To the second half of what he was saying, though, and when I first read this, I thought he was saying that, oh, that these you know, supervisory bodies, uh, organizations, that's what I was looking for. The organizations have ruined this industry. I first thought he was talking about crypto, which he may be, but it seems to me after rereading it that he means crypto is going to come in and ruin the industries those organizations oversee and therefore make them obsolete. And I have a feeling that is part of the reason you're seeing everyone and their mother's organization come in and want to regulate it so that they have a reason to keep existing. Not that I agree with that in any way. I think that you could probably read it both ways and it wouldn't be untrue. Yes, Um, completely agree with you there. You know, like this is true in that a lot of these agencies, if they don't get actual clarity on what they're supposed to be regulating, it's almost undeniable that they're going to ruin this industry. But at the same time, their industry as lawmakers, they will be ruined if this doesn't get cleared up because they're going to be cutting at each other's throats trying to lay claim at every next turn. Um, yeah, it's just, it's really interesting. Anyway, the last comment that I want to leave us on before we own this and have some final remarks is that Warren Davidson, who's a representative from Ohio, said the crypto law should not be an interpretive art. It needs new, clear rules. I think I disagree with him. And I want to give you the first um, take at this. And then I'll get into why I think I disagree. I kind of agree. But I agree with him from a law standpoint, right? For any of our international viewers, and I don't know how laws are written in your country, but in the US, laws are still written as if they were written 200 years ago. Most lawyers or even judges today couldn't read through a law and you know, clearly translate it to English because that's how convoluted a lot of the language is. I would love to see, because inevitably there will be regulation around crypto, clear-cut language that anyone can look at and understand because you know, it takes away a lot of the fear. Of, oh, am I breaking the rules? Am I doing this properly or not properly? When it's clear-cut and you can just understand it by looking at it, that's a good thing. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, the big thing to me is that you need to have a, a distinction, I guess, between what is rule of law 
and what can be applied in the current model. Um, we have frameworks that apply to a lot of what is currently out there. But the problem is that it hasn't been immediately and clearly stated. And like the links have not been clearly defined. So they need to write like clarifying points, but I'm not necessarily sure that they need entirely new clear regulations and rules. I think they just need clarification to clear up what is currently gray area. Um, we don't, the, the thing that I, I keep coming back to, and I think it's becoming more and more apparent to me, and I didn't think this way originally, Chris, is that we need a new agency to fully govern crypto. Completely agree. And like, I, that was my original opinion is like, that is what we needed. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think it would make things a lot easier. I, I think it would make things a lot easier if the right people were involved. For example, if the government somehow could rope in, you know, Sam Bankman-Fried and Vitalik Buterin and said, hey guys, you're both incredibly successful in crypto. You've made ungodly amounts of money. You clearly understand it. You understand the markets and the industry. How about you come and advise our new organization so that we can understand it and properly regulate it as you guys, you know, would like to still see innovation. But knowing the US, that's not going to happen. And if we had one, you know, agency running everything around regulations with crypto, they would probably pack the board with Wells Fargo CEOs and board members and executives. Well, yeah, if Brad Sherman had anything to you know, do with it. The truth is, is that I think that all of Congress is getting really tired of the excuses and of like the internal infighting because of who is in whose pocket. And I think these, I'm, I'm not saying that these days are done. I'm just saying that these days are starting to be called to light, right? Like people are taking ownership of the fact that, you know, the credit unions and the banks own Brad Sherman and probably everything that he owns, um, along with a number of other representatives that are currently clearly corrupt and their interests are just those of the organizations that fund them. Um, all are really, really important things to take ownership. But I think my biggest takeaway out of this entire hearing is that the future of crypto in the US actually looks pretty good right now. Would you agree with that or do you disagree? Completely agree. And the biggest reason I agree is that we're seeing a lot of positive energy come out of the Republican side of our Congress. And with the way that Joe Biden's first two-ish years are going to have gone, it will probably be a Republican majority by 2024. So that is a good sign for crypto. And of course, that is all I'm talking about here. I'm not going to get political, bring in other opinions. But from just a crypto perspective, Things are looking pretty good from a regulatory standpoint and who will probably be making those rules in office a few years from now. The last thing I'll leave you with is this. And that's that I think one other encouraging thing that's coming out of this is that more and more legislators want to be bipartisan. Um, that is something that we have not seen in probably 12 years. Um, and I am very eager about that because I think that not only will that make for better legislation, I think it'll also make for a happier American public. Um, again, all of this is non-political talk. This is just my observation of society. Um, partisan politics don't make for happy people. 
Nope. Doesn't. But look, we are not a show about politics. We're a show about crypto. And that is what we are here to talk about. So that has been our Aftershock segment for this week. If you enjoyed it, let us know in the comments. If you think that any one of the comments that were made by our politicians was particularly great and we missed it, or you liked one of the comments that you heard, let us know in the comments. We want to hear from you. We want to get your take. We want to make sure that we're including you in these shows. Of course, every single week we're here at 7 p.m. Eastern, Tuesday and Thursday, live on YouTube. You can catch the recast through any of the podcast platforms that you prefer um, on Thursdays for our Tuesday show and on Saturdays for our Thursday show, now that I can actually remember our schedule. Um, but that is going to wrap it up for the Aftershock. Let's go ahead and do what we love doing most. Let's talk about what to watch for. So in the upcoming week, there, of course, are going to be brand new episodes of your favorite interviews here on CryptoCurrent. Um, in the current week, we had Bo Olson of uh, Transient Network talking about how they're the Amazon of blockchains. And then upcoming tomorrow, we... Tomorrow. Wow. <laughs> upcoming tomorrow um, on the show, Richard is sitting down with Darius Kozlovskis um, from Drops.co to talk about their brand new NFT5 platform. So. That all is very, very cool. But in the upcoming week, we have two brand new guests for you. I'm going to spill the beans on them right now. On Monday, you can look forward to hearing from Aram Hami, who is talking about reinventing money markets with Glitch Finance. And then next Friday, you're going to hear from Abhishek Singh. I hope I didn't butcher your name. Sorry. Um, from Comdex, who is talking about their approach to, de to democratizing the commodities market. Um, really interesting concepts that we're talking about here. And honestly, you're not getting these interviews anywhere else. Um, we like to bring you two brand new interviews with exciting new founders, exciting new projects every single week. And then after we bring you that content, we then give you basics content with Chris K. Chris, what did you talk about yesterday? So yesterday, I talked about all the different kinds of initial offerings in crypto, starting off with ICOs, initial coin offerings, and going down the list, including everything from an IEO to an ISPO. And if you want to learn more about all those different kinds of offerings, how they differ, pros, cons, you can go to our YouTube channel under the Crypto Basics with Chris K playlist and check it out. Awesome. Um, last but not least, I will tell you this. There's a lot that's going to be developing here in the next couple of weeks in crypto. And you need to make sure that if you want to stay cryptocurrent on this matter, Make sure you've subscribed. Make sure you're following us on Twitter. I like to bring out some of these pieces before we even get to our live stream. So you can catch all that at Steve Miller underscore PHX. You can, of course, follow Chris. He may tweet about gaming. He may tweet about something else. Who knows? At It's Mikus. But that is going to do it for this week's edition of Cryptocurrent Live on Thursday. Um, Chris, any final words for our folks before we sign off? Well, if you're on YouTube, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, drop a like and leave a comment because Steve and I love talking to people that aren't crypto bots. Absolutely. Otherwise, do us a favor, stay cryptocurrent. We'll see you next week. Bye.